Special thanks to everyone who pledged money to crowdfund the show this week, including Matt Lacey, David Walker, Tim Edwards, Illico Elia, Andy Hagen, Jamie Holland, Roland Roberts, Ian Wilkinson, Alistair Harding, Dan Laney, Ian Mercer and John Balshaw. There's a full list of our supporters on 361podcast.com, along with information on how to help us for as little as $1 per episode via Patreon. Hello and welcome to 361, a weekly podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. My name is Ewan McLeod. My name is Ben Smith. And I'm Rafe Blanford. And this is season 13, episode 9, and this week we're talking about the man himself. Ben Smith. That's right, he's the glue that holds it all together. Let's find out about his origin story. Welcome back, chaps. How are we doing? Well, it's another day, another dollar. Bring it on. Oh, low energies. Don't know. We've had. What? No, I just didn't want to go. Hello. Oh, we've because we've had a bit of a an extended time between episodes. I don't yes. know. If, yeah. So we've had the last couple of weeks. They've been stretched out a bit longer than normal because you'd swanned off to. Um, I got. Where, where was it? Copenhagen? No, 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 no. Tenerife. Tenerife. The place you've literally just come back from the day before yesterday. Right. Well, I've got. I've got a lot of travel things going on. That's all right. But you went on holiday. Yes, I did. And it was very nice. And you actually went on holiday this time. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, we got the passport sorted. Did I tell you about that? I can't remember. I think we, yeah. I, we did that. That was that, that was an idiot thing. Yes, yeah. pleased to have done that. Went to the Ritz Carlton, Tenerife. Very nice. Lovely. And you're, you you haven't come back with a tan? No, I just put a hat on. Fair enough. And I put a big long sleeve T-shirt. I should have got a proper swimming thing. It just sounds blissful, doesn't it? Just it's sitting in the sun, completely covered, head to toe. I just don't want to get. I just I really don't like the suntan lotion oil stuff. That really annoys me. Fair enough. Good chat. Yeah. Rafe Blanford. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yes. <laughs> oh, I'd fallen asleep listening to that. Oh, thanks a lot. Uh, Hi, energy. He asked me yeah. questions. I know. And I forgot. Season 13, and we're really barrel scraping now, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> so, Rafe Blanford, uh, any news with you, or indeed that we could do things of the week straight away? Uh, things of the week. Well, in the interest of still trying to perfect the perfect smart home or have a smarter home than everyone else. I've made a couple of investments recently, one of which was thanks to Amazon Prime Day. Got a strip of LED lights from the Philips <laughs> Hue on, range. I thought you were going to say something. Right, very good. Yes. And it's now sort of doing highlighting lights. And I've also spotted you can get the Logitech, the Harmony, which is the kind of universal remote that also comes with a hub oh, for controlling smart. infrared things. Yep. So things like TVs and media centers. And therefore you can integrate them into your smart home. And so... You can speak to an echo and turn on your TV or in response to walking into a room or indeed walking out, you can have things switch off. So Wait, when are we going to get Alexa in the UK? Because I want one, uh, but I don't, really I don't want, I don't really want an import. I want yeah. like the proper one. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, no. Ray, fix it. Oh, for goodness sake. I know. I know. I mean, tried asking Amazon, no response out of them whatsoever. It's clearly being planned, though, so I wouldn't be surprised if it makes it in time for the Christmas market. It's the full season. The thing about Smart Home is it's very easy just to do one more purchase and keep, yeah. keep that investment going, so it's an expensive hobby for sure. What's the best thing overall so far you've got? I think in terms of amount of use I've got out of it, it's definitely making all the light bulbs smart because actually not having to touch a light switch up Really enjoy having oh, everything on, on motion f- sensors. Fess up. You never had to touch a light switch before anyway, did you? You had people for that. <laughs> but in terms of kind of the coolest piece of tech, actually the Amazon Echo, which I, I did import and, you know, was involved in work projects that was using that, that's actually, there's something really clever about being able to sit on the sofa and control several things at once. Do you actually do that sat there on your own? 
Yeah. Just yeah, so sit on the sofa, dim the lights down to fifty percent, play the three six one podcast to check out that you know what the editing process is. <laughs> and you're what sleeping you're minutes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you McLeod, um any things of the week? Yeah, I'm holding up. This is my my thing of the week. Uh, brilliant. Well let's move straight on. It's great for the radio. It's my Apple pen. Is that what they call it? Pencil. 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 Oh pencil, sorry. Okay. I got it ages ago and I've actually just started using it finally with my iPad Pro and I've been using it with Evernote and with Penultimate. Yeah, we like to be uh, topical and timely on 361. Well, I just haven't tried it out. For, yeah, it's been nice to tr- actually try it out. So it's um, working very nicely. I've been using it in meetings, making notes, Excellent. little drawings. Can you make like handwriting quality notes with yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And then Evernote will search them, which is quite good. Uh, your handwriting is better than mine. Well, my, I'm trying to write, you know. Yeah, my spidery scroll. Yeah. Right, Ben, have you got anything you'd like to say hey, before, before we move on to things that you probably don't want to say? Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Um, I have ordered a riot bag. Uh, uh, what is a riot? Well, get your Googling on. What's that? Like? So riot bags were a Kickstarter-funded rucksack gadget bag by a lady in the UK. And the whole premise is that they're secure because they're a rucksack, but you only access the rucksack from the bit that touches your back. So when you're on the tube, no one can reach in your bag and nick your stuff. And they've just launched some new ones. And I think I said the other week, oh, I want a new bag. I want something cool. So they're quite cheap. So I've ordered one to try it out and I'm going to get the new one as soon as they start delivering, which is really cool. I like the fact that like, they're done by a really small firm that think really carefully about all of it, like how it's made and where it's made and how they make it and all those bits. So it might actually not be perfect, but I kind of like the idea of supporting. And it's, it's not Riot. It's R-I-U-T, but that is pronounced Riot. Uh, that's just very cool. Yeah, okay. it's, it's cool. And I mean, the security thing is interesting, but actually I just quite like the fact that it's a cool rucksack and not so many people are going to have them. And they do them in blue now as well. So I like the blue one. Excellent. Go. So, Ewan, I believe that you and I have been uh, put through the ringer. It's, it's someone else's term. So what are we talking about this week? It is, today we are talking about the origin story of Mr. Benjamin Smith. Mm. Only Benjamin to my mother. Sorry, Mr. Ben Smith. There we go. And we have both had the treatment, um, and slightly uncomfortable, I think. How did you find yours? Very uncomfortable. Yeah. Was that, was that the massage or the questions? Oh, right. That, um, <laughs> sorry, I'd forgotten. <laughs> So we're going to talk about Ben today, and uh, he had been wanting to push this off for quite a while, I think. Is that yeah, right? we were going to do this next season, weren't we? But I, I think, look, if we've done all three of us this season, I think it's, it's we've, we've done it and people know the background, they can, they've got the context. I think it's rather important, if you have been painstakingly, emphasis on pain, listening to us for, you know, any number of weeks, uh, it will be nice to have the context. So you've, you've heard the context on Blanford, you've heard about me. Where are we now? We're 13 seasons in, about 45 minutes an episode with some specials. So you probably could listen to 361 Podcast Solid for about a week. And and we finally decided now is the time to introduce ourselves. (laughs) So what we're going to do is Blamford and I are going to fire a series of questions at Mr. Smith here. And we'll see how we go, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So un- unstructured. Unstructured. Semi you an episode, I think. Which, which, is, a, which is code for unplanned, which is code for likely to be embarrassing. Well, because I don't think we need to have much planning here. Is there anything embarrassing that we shouldn't ask you about? Uh, no, my life is an open book. You can ask me anything. You know that. I share all my secrets with you. Okay. I think we should start at the beginning. That's um, a good place to yeah, start, so, usually. Um, give us some context. What was your childhood like? You know, that, those kind of um, questions. Insert some here. Uh... Once upon a time, once, was upon, a young... once upon a time, far, far away. Uh, so, where were you born? Uh, Keithley in Yorkshire. You were born in Yorkshire. Yeah, I, I kept had... that quiet. Yeah, I know. I know. So, my, my... what were you doing there? 
Uh, that's, where my fa- that's where my family lived. Yeah, I was screaming, <laughs> wearing, wearing nappies. My family have lived in the south of England most of our lives. It was right. a little anomaly there. And I you know, went to school. There's no, there's no story there. Well, you I went to school in Yorkshire? No, no, back in Kent. I grew up in Kent. Just right. out for, So if you don't live in, in the UK, that's just sort of county that surrounds London. We're about an hour outside London. Yeah. And no, sorry, I didn't start any industrial disputes like you did. I didn't go to any uh, public schools like Rafe Branford did. I just went to a regular school, like a regular normal person. Regular grammar regular. school, I believe. I did go to a grammar school, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, so hold on not- a minute. So not regular school then. Well, but it, you know, not... <laughs> did you pass your 11 plus? I did, yes. Oh, I did, yes. Okay. Again, you know, if you don't listen to overseas... They test people and send you to different schools depending on whether you pass or fail that particular test. But they only do that in some. So I'll just translate that into language that people will understand. Ben got tested when he was eleven and went to the elite state school. I I don't like to use the elite. elite Actually, I'm quite comfortable with that. What did you do? GCSEs. Um, I well, actually now. So those are the the main exams when you're a teenager, fifteen, sixteen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, topics wise, I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I just did whatever I was good at, and I did um, geography and economics and sciences and things. But actually, geography was the place where I sort of first started falling in love with IT because I wasn't really interested in geography, but I loved our school had a meteorological station, and I and I loved being involved in that because we had a satellite dish that would get weather imagery through and it, you know, it would come down into a, a frame store that you download onto a computer. And I mean, this is like a, a 186 computer, yeah, with yeah, a, yeah. one of those big... It was the uh, NOAA satellite feeds. That, yeah. And the school computers of the day were done by a company called Research Machines and they had RM. what they called, yeah, yeah. Nimbus. A, a Winchester disc, which was a hard disc, which sat underneath the CPU of the computer and it was had I don't know, eight megabytes or something ridiculous. <laughs> and the whole room would shake, but that... You know, and obviously there was a lot of IT at home anyway, but that was the first time yeah. I got to sort of try something really cool. And I, I used to love when we had school open days, I'd be in charge of showing that off. And I used to quite enjoy that. So it was a case of anything that let me play with toys, in, basically. Very so, cool. So was there anything else in sort of your early life that was pushing you towards technology and IT? Uh, well, certainly my, my family and then my dad in particular always had a f- fascination with IT and was involved in, in computers and things in school. So we had computers in the house. So that was, you know, sort of, I think, fairly, kind of fairly formative. Well, if you grew up in the UK, you'll remember the BBC B, which was the school's type computer. And yeah. we had lots of those around. So uh, I've a Spectrum as well? No, no, we, we went straight to PCs. So I we, remember, we did that too. Yeah, uh, but did you ever have an Amiga or anything? Yeah. No, no. I mean, friends did, but we yeah. just went straight to PCs. And I remember, Rafe, do you remember you buy a game? Like we had Wing Commander. That was oh, one of those. That was good. I used like 23 floppy disks in one after the other after yeah. the other in order to play. Floppy, it, so. floppy disks? I know, I know. Yeah. It's really showing my Well, they weren't floppy, remember, they were three and a half inch. Well, what are they? They were, exactly. I know. Don't come over here yeah. being a young Rafe. <laughs> did you play Wing Commander 2 as well? Uh, no, just, just, just Wing Commander 1. That's the, that's the one that stands in my memory. I'm trying to think what about f one one seven a Stealth Fighter? We did. From yeah, was one of, Oh, yes, I remember. Yes, yes, I remember that one. But I wasn't really a big gamer. I think I was, I, I quite enjoyed, I, sometimes I wrote code or yeah. something like that. I quite enjoyed how stuff works. Yeah. You know, the games were just, you know. All right, A-levels? Yes, I did those. I'm trying to think now. So that's the next step after high yeah, school. Yeah, I mean, again, but the, not really. Did the, you stay in school for that or did you go to a different place? No, I stayed, stayed in school. But yeah. the thing was, by that point, I knew it was computers. Like I knew I wanted to do computing at university. There was no no question. So it was like, what do you do? So I just did whatever. Did you do computer subjects. science then? Or yeah, I did right. computer science at university. And I think I did economics and physics. And I mean, not interesting subjects, but it was like a means to an end. This is what I want to do. I had a really and clear idea fairly early on. Where did you go to university? If you're in the UK, you'll know that Loughborough's the UK's premier sporting university. And yeah. if you've met me, you'll be surprised that that's where I went. But it had, <laughs> had quite a strong computing factor. You went there for the well. girls. 
I went there for the computing faculty because being a sporting university, there was not many girls there. Famously, there's a seven to one ratio, male to female. Oh, I thought it was the opposite. No. But I think the other thing that's uh, interesting from your university is you were involved a lot in student fundraising. I was, and this all feels very, very non-mobile, but I... Um, How did you get into that? Uh, friends and poor judgment, but friends. <laughs> yeah, so we, we did loads of student fundraising and I quite liked that because I realised fairly early on I like being in charge of things. Mm. Uh, which is not necessarily a character trait that speaks well of me. I know what he means. I know. Ben is a power-mad maniac. Doesn't He's obviously toned that down in more recent indeed, years. Indeed. Well, I just met Ewan and it all sort of, I fall into ah, sort of my okay. secondary characteristics when you meet a real alpha male, you know. <laughs> what? A real alpha male. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, he, he's, 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 weed, he's weed on the trees. So I'm going to let him have it, you know. So yeah, we did loads of student fundraising. At the end of, at the, end of university, I actually ran a fundraising organisation and we used to use students to fundraise money for charity. It was really good fun. I spent a year doing that and we... Wait, are you, did you mean chugging? No, no, no. We, charity we, mugging. We, in, in the bad old days, we, we used to do that, but actually it's a rubbish way to raise money. So we used to run big events and we realised that if you've got 100 student volunteers, you can go and run a big public event like a fireworks display or a charity cycle oh. ride. And if what you have is loads of manpower... That's a really good way to raise loads of money, but not by standing there shaking a tin. It's mm. by organising stuff because manpower is what everybody else struggles to get. Yeah. So just give us an idea because I actually think the scale of this is pretty impressive. What was your biggest event in terms of yeah, attendees? We'd, well, my favourite certainly was we used to run an annual bonfire display on the 5th of November. We'd have, what, 20,000 people in. We'd, you Wait, know, what, the university? Yeah, yeah. We'd bring them onto the university campus. We'd run a big display. We'd have a fairground, wow. uh, you know, a bonfire, a professional fireworks display. And we'd start, and the great thing is we'd staff it all with students. And it's, you know, when we ran that event and we'd have students doing cash handling, security, first aid, you know, working the queues, selling concessions, all this kind of stuff. And the whole thing was staffed by students. And, you know, it was completely irrelevant to technology, but it made me realise actually that the fun thing is working with people who care about something. Yeah. And I realised that actually what I want to do is work in teams that are passionate about stuff because whether it's charity and it's quite easy to get everybody passionate about charity or whether it's tech, like where we work now. And sometimes I think I can't believe people aren't like passionate about mobile tech because it's the thing that yeah. excites me. But when you work in teams of people who are just as keen, it makes it interesting. It gets people motivated. So, okay, well, and academically, were you interested in the computing stuff? Yeah, yeah, did all right. I mean, I, I knew I wanted to do computing. I knew I wanted to work in IT. Mm. And so, yeah, got my degree, job done. Got did, your degree. Did, and my then... year, did my year out. And oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. What was your year at? I worked for... Did you do a gap year? I did. I did a gap year. Only I didn't do the the famous... Probably Rafe Blanford, did you travel around Asia or something in your gap year? No, I didn't. What did you do? I didn't have a gap year. Oh, they, they didn't let them out of Cambridge, did they? Or Cambridge, Oxford. I thought it was Oxford. Oxford. I, yeah. I, I would have been a funny joke if I'd remember which one was the wrong one. Wouldn't exactly, that? Yeah. Ford sponsored me through university. They paid, okay. paid me a salary. Oh, was that from the milk round? Uh, they no, spot you as a, no, so a the keen... Mi the milk round is, is when they recruit you after university. They recruited oh, right. me at 18. This is a uh, year in industry type yeah, thing. Yeah, and, and paid me through university as well. How did they find you? I applied. I said, please, can I be on your sponsorship programme? And they, they, interviewed, went, right. they interviewed me and assessed me and went, all right, I suppose, whatever. So you know? did that mean you went and worked for Ford afterwards? Or? I did, oh, yeah. Oh, you got a Dagenham? Yeah, yeah. so I worked in, in the famous Dagenham plant and, yeah. and around there, and I did my year out and all my holidays my big holidays there as well. So in between every year, went and did little placements Oh, and across the, th what, three years? Was yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Through, throughout all my university. And then, yep, they offered me a graduate job I accepted and 13 weeks later I left. Wow. Yeah, so it was... It was so what was your first job after that then? Oh, uh, well, I decided... I, I, what I decided was that... Did you leave to go anywhere? 
Yeah, yeah, I did. So you had something lined up. Oh, yeah. And it's back to this thing about wanting to work with people that are passionate about stuff. And I'd gone into a job and they were lovely people, but it wasn't a thing I cared about. And I realized that I just can't work on something that I didn't care about. And I said, I said, look, you know, when I was a student, I did loads of cool web stuff. They let us set up intranet sites and and use all kinds of stuff that I was fascinated about. Like the kind of early stuff that you were talking about, your, you know, we built apps in Perl and we, probably these days feels really crude, but you know, kind of, I really loved it. I was passionate about it. And then I went to a department that did sort of stuff for finance. It was a, you know, and I said, well, can I do something I care about? And they said, yeah, sure, don't worry. And in three years, we'll cycle you out into the next role. I said, no, uh, <laughs> that's it, I'm out of here. So um, I'm afraid I cut my losses and I, I became an evil management consultant. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is why I thought your story was more interesting because you know, I got a job, I got a salary job and went to work like well, a normal well, well, person. So I, I think we'll come to some of those roles and we're going to pick out a few of them over the years. But the other thing is, I just want to touch back on, you were also doing other voluntary work and from this point onwards. And I know one of the things that I've always been incredibly impressed by is volunteering for the Paralympics. Yeah, well, uh, so one of the guys I'm, I'm very close friends with now did the fundraising through university. He went on to work in Paralympic sport and he sometimes needs help and some of the people he, he works with need help. So yeah, I've, I've worked on um, Athens, Beijing and London 2012. This is Rio. This actually is the first year I haven't been to a Paralympics at all. So, uh, and what, so, what are you doing at a Paralympics then? Well, 2012 was the best one. So the way the, the Olympics and the Paralympics work is that they organise the event, as it were, you know, like there'll be a stadium and there'll be people and there'll be tickets, but a bit like a football competition, the ruling body of the sport then actually arranges the competition. You know, if you go to the athletics field, it's the International Athletics Federation okay, that, yeah. that yeah. runs the competition because then it's official and world records count and all the measurements and everything. And so I worked for the sport and I worked on wheelchair basketball. I actually worked for the sport of wheelchair basketball and I um, supported the president and did some stuff for her on that. And actually the fun bit though was she needed some photos taken. So I was a 2012 accredited press photographer, which wow. was very exciting. So I got to go down courtside with my little photo vest on, you know, looking like the man from, from uh, tell us about this. Or Reuters. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I sat there with my tiny little Canon camera next to the guy with the photo lens that, you know, <laughs> kind of you could see into space. And he's looking at me and I'm like, I'll just pop it into auto and click, click, click. <laughs> Put the flash on. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually I got talking to, because obviously the guy who ran the photo accreditation was used to dealing with proper press photographers. And he said, don't sit underneath a basket when they're coming up the court and fire a flash in their faces because they'll come over the barriers and have at you, you know, if they're, if they're trying to shoot. So, okay, fine. Just take, write that down. No, no. Turn fl- off flash. Turn, turn off flash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Try not to be distracting. And I'm sitting there like, take photos but don't breathe don't breathe in case i distract them it's quite a serious sport wheelchair basketball it's quite a serious sport but also there's something about i mean okay the the paralympics doesn't have the tv viewing figures the olympics does but it's a medal match and you're sat under the basket literally in the, the backboards behind the basket with all the press photographers and there's somebody sitting there doing a free throw or something like that and like if I cough, I'm going to ruin this game, like the the result. And so it, it's weird, the kind of, you know how, I mustn't cough, I mustn't cough, I mustn't cough. Oh, I know, I really need to cough. Yeah, but it was just the best fun. I loved it. And I spent a fortnight in the Paralympics underground in the O2, which is obviously was the venue where they held it. And um, it was simultaneously disappointing because I didn't see very much of the rest of it. And I loved it. I got to see, you know, up close how this stuff works. And why no real? Was that you just being, are you being sensible? I've got a small person yep. in my life now. And yeah, baby as well. So was there, <laughs> was there any, uh, any tech 
from the Olympics that sort of stands out in your minds? Well, I think what really amazed me was the broadcast operation. And everywhere you went in the Olympic uh, park and the villages, there were just TVs that had... Effectively, the way that TVs broadcast from the Paralympics is that they have Olympic broadcast services. So they make a broadcaster and they take all the imagery that you see on TV and all the other broadcasters then put their logos and graphics over it. And the man from the BBC might send a camera down to interview a presenter courtside or something like that. But all the actual, you know, footage of the event is all there live. And I was just amazed. And you'd sit, you'd get your TV and you'd flip through the channels and just realise there were 60, 70 channels of, you know, all of this sport happening simultaneously and the huge broadcast operation, you know, that, that went into it. It was just remarkable. And all of this imagery was available everywhere. You know, the reason that the presenters can say, oh, stats, is that they sit down, there's a stats system, and then they can go and watch all the replays and everything. It just was miraculous. And I think it's interesting, in the recent Olympics, we've actually seen more of that now that you can get, you know, 30-odd streams off the BBC website and everything else. And it amazes me the kind of the quality and the quantity that's being produced. And interestingly, 2012 was held up as being the kind of, this is the first time the Olympics will be mobile, but actually I think it's this time around we really see that come to... Yeah. in the users and I was just wondering were mobile phones or any mobile tech being used well, when you were uh... Samsung gave smart devices to all of the the officials and what they call the Olympic family and that everyone thinks oh that means like wife and brother and sister or whatever of the athletes but Olympic family is everybody around the sport who's involved in running it so the people who do the timing and the measurements and the officials right. and the judges and the even the people who make sure that when the athletes pee in the bottle for the doping control, that the room is properly, you know, set up yeah, to yeah. keep the samples secure and all this kind of stuff. And um, I was sort of surprised that despite having given them all very fancy smartphones, there was just minimal Wi-Fi available and there was no mobile apps or anything. So we, my little team, used, you know, mobiles and laptops and these kinds of things to coordinate our activities, but that was ad unofficial. Hoc. That was yeah. unofficial and ad hoc, yeah, for us. Well, should we skip on? I Now and again, you've mentioned you worked in Singapore. I did, yeah. And what were you doing there? Well, back in my consulting days, we used to travel quite a lot. So um, there was a, a big government project. So I, all through my career, I've, I've mostly worked for public sector government organisations. and They were setting up a, a system that build electricity. So generators would generate electricity and they put it into the grid. And then somebody else would buy electricity and take it out of the grid. And in some countries like the UK and New Zealand, the price varies depending on is there oversupply or undersupply right. and you, you pay based on need. Uh, the problem with Singapore is that the need is pretty consistent because what the need is is to air condition everyone everywhere because it's really hot. So the demand stays static. But right. we, so yeah, so we built one of those marketplaces when this was early on in my consulting career where I was very excited to go places and to you know, fly around on a fancy plane and eat free dinner. So it was great fun. Nice. Then yeah, so I lived out there for a couple of years. A couple of years? Yeah, it was about two years in the end. Okay, and when in the chronology did you meet your wife? Uh, oh, that was a, that was a few years that, later. Later on, okay, right. Yeah. So you're you're fans, footloose, fancy free. I was consulting, f- footloose and fancy free, and and you're doing technology consulting basically. Yeah, yeah, and and again, this was part of. I realised that you know it's hard to make management consulting sound fun, but I realised what I liked was helping people understand technology and how it you're might be something. useful. Yeah, but building it, but also I'd spent a few years building things. And then realised that nobody cared about them because they didn't understand them. I'd worked on some very early banking systems and we'd done loads of hard work. And then we'd gone away and kind of nobody seemed to appreciate quite how good what we'd done had been because we hadn't really put any effort into explaining it to anyone. And we never brought what we did away and said, hey, you know, perhaps we could 
like we learned some things. Perhaps we should do that elsewhere. It was just do a thing, go away, do another thing, go away. And so, you know, the, the whole joy of the consulting thing was sitting with these people saying, well, perhaps if we did it this way or that way, and, mm. you know, how could it help you? How could it be good? You know? And then you also, I get this, I'm just, these are the phrases and words that I've heard Ben mentioning now and again. Police, you worked for the police? I did, yeah, worked for the Met Police. So if you get arrested in London, then the system that gathers evidence against you in preparation for your trial, I helped put that together. Okay, so very good. That's no, my right. fault, yep. So putting criminals away, I, I believe... I, actually, going back to when did you meet your wife, around yeah. that time I met my wife and she came home and, and in my flat was a bunch of printouts. And what they were was test printouts of charge sheets that, you know, this system created these, these <laughs> things and records. And of course, the guys in the office, we'd all done funny ones for each other, you know, like, you know, the funny crime that you might, you might think Dave in the office would do. And um, I, it just, I had to calm what was your What was your crime? I, yeah. It's not fit for family uh, uh, audience, but suffice it to say, I did have to calm her to say that, no, that's not a real thing. I just, just made it joke. up. Yeah. That, that was it, it is a real Dave thing. In the office. That is the certificate you get, but that's not actually mine. And then, then I went back into the office and said, guys, the test system, we're definitely deleting all the data before it goes live, are we? <laughs> so. But you've actually done some other kind of big government projects. And I think one that will sort of, I don't know whether it worries or impresses is uh, GCHQ. Yeah. So, um, I mean, obviously there's some stuff I can't talk about. I didn't... Are, you, are you cleared? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I have a security clearance. Um, Do you still have that? Does yeah, that I, it, the one I have is 10 years. So oh. it's, it's got a, a few years to run yet. But, and, you know, there's some things I can't, I can't say, but if you ever see it on the TV, if you ever see what they call the donut, it's the GCHQ building yeah. you see from the air. That was built only a few years ago and I helped work on the fit out and, you know, the technology that's inside that. And that so was a really interesting couple of years. For our listeners, that's kind of the UK equivalent of the NSA it that is, basically yeah. does all the signal intelligence. That's right, yeah. And um, so the NSA sort of site is often sort of seen as iconic from the air and you yeah. see it as a sort of a symbol of the intelligence agencies in the States. And similarly, the news often uses that building as a, as a sort of code for intelligence agencies over here. Does that mean that right now, as this has been played out on the internet, our words are being transcribed and stuck into the... The only person transcribing them are the people that we pay to transcribe the show. <laughs> <laughs> actually, joking aside, it's funny actually that working in that environment, we were involved in making that facility work. And so there's some things you learn about and, you know, actually genuinely not that interesting in the grand scheme of things. But also you realise how effective the secrecy is, which is everybody is absolutely... Compartmentalised. Yeah, you know, you, you, don't, you don't talk about things casually... There's always this thing on, on TV, they say, are you cleared? And they say, yes, well, I'll tell you the secrets then. Whereas the truth is, they say, are you cleared? Yes. Do you need to know the secret? No. Well, I'm not telling you then. You know, it's very, <laughs> yeah, very right, much yeah. the idea of you only know if you need to know. After that? After that, I'm trying to think now. Where, uh, what were you doing when we met? Uh, oh, so that, uh, scroll forward a few years. Okay. I was working in central London and at that time, oh, more criminal stuff. So if you... If you, it's another system. Okay, if yeah. you've got a criminal record. If, if you fancy doing big, complicated fraud. So, for example, there used to be something called carousel fraud in yeah, the UK, yeah. which is basically you would import some components, normally electronics components, because they were small and you could ship loads of them and they were very high value. And then you'd export them again and you'd reclaim the tax. And it was a big wheeze to defraud the government. And the problem was loads of people were getting away with that because it was so hard to capture all of that evidence. Because really what it was was just lots and lots of documentation about import and export and all very boring. But if you get arrested for that, then the system that I helped work on holds the evidence against you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you're a true crime fighter. 
Well, you know, just so you have a kind of some sort of secret identity that goes along with this. No, I mean, I wish I was disappointed. I wish I could say it was more glamorous than that, but it was mostly just a big IT system that hold database records. So, not crime fighter, assisting crime prevention. Is that right? I'm basically the guy that puts the batteries in Commissioner Gordon's giant torch that fires into the sky. Assistant (laughs) chief battery holder. But talking of um, of those kind of things, it's also you got military stuff. Head of mobile for the US Army. Well, not, not quite, Rafe. You've slightly oversold me there. Okay, uh, well, just so, a tad. I know. So I, I, I scroll forward a few years and I, I really wanted to work on mobile. I mean, you and I have been working together, writing together, Rafe. I'd known you for a few years by this point and mobile was cool. Like it was the, where everything that mattered happened. All the cool stuff was happening. It was really cutting edge and I really wanted to work in it. And I finally, finally, finally got the opportunity to do it. And it was through a job around using mobile to help people learn stuff and we did a bit of that. And then we realized actually that one of the organizations that really needs to learn stuff is US military. So yeah, for a while, I led a team that built apps for the US Department of Defense. And um, Okay, so basically head of mobile education for the DOT. No, well, I think there's probably several thousand other people who would argue that they were also involved in that. But what I was really interested in was the fact that actually what we were doing, it, we built something that was a bit like Kindle for learning. You know, so you download a course and you do the course and it would help you you know, get better at your job. And the scenarios that you, as soon as you, as soon as you start to deal with the military, you get all these really interesting scenarios. Like, can I use a Kindle when I'm wearing gloves on the deck of an aircraft carrier? Or can I use it when I'm in an area where there's only Wi-Fi back at my base or, you know, any of those kinds of things. We did some of that. And then we did some really cool stuff that actually I am sort of quite proud of around disaster relief. So making apps and thinking about how you could use smartphones. The thing that triggered that was Haiti. And yeah. the disaster response to Haiti was impressive because, of course, you know, the, the world's, you know, sort of NGOs swooped in, but actually it was very disorganised. And so they decided they needed a better way for all of the various organisations to coordinate. And we did some very early work on apps and how that might work. And we made a really cool concept video where we went to a place where they train firefighters. They have fake collapsed buildings where obviously firefighters practice pulling people out of the rubble. And we pretended it was an earthquake zone and we had actors and we filmed this video sort of imagining what these apps might do to try and, you know, spark Mm. people's imagination. It was really cool. It was a very strange day at work that day. Moving off the work stuff, I mean, I know that you've also done stuff for the DVLA and we've recently talked about how you you've gone into RBS, but in, for the last bit of this episode, can we just maybe talk about some of your personal tech and particularly on mobile? First mobile phone? Ooh, Good question. Ooh. Good question. First mobile phone. Now, uh, Sony Ericsson T68i. Okay. Yeah, that was your that, first phone? Hmm? First personal phone? Yeah, first personal phone. But the first phone you ever, mobile phone you ever used? Yeah. A T68i? No, no, no. Um, it was not. That, that was, that's recent. Recent, you, you, you were, 15 years ago. Right, but the 68i was quite a modern 68. There was plenty before that. Oh, yeah. I didn't have a smartphone. I didn't have a cell phone until I was halfway through university. And then I, then I got one. Why did you get one? Because when you work for Ford, Ford had its own MVNO, Ford Cellular. Wow. And as an employee, you could get a deal through them. It was cool. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, Favorite mobile phone? Yeah. Is this uh, ever, I, ever, is if, this? Yeah. If I say iPhone, you're going to mock me, aren't I? Well, no, okay, give us your favourite iPhone and your favourite phone. Uh, well, favourite iPhone, current one, obviously, it's the best. Favourite phone, I think, of all the ones, I had loads, because I, I went then did the thing. I think it's a toss-up between the P800, which for Good similar choice. reasons yeah. to you, Rafe, which was, it was the first phone I ever had that made me think, 
wow, this is what the future is going to be like. Because I'd had Palm Pilots. I was a big Palm Pilot aficionado and I had loads of those and the trios and things like that. And this was like them glued together. But actually, I think the best one overall was the T-Mobile G1, the first ever oh, yeah. Android phone. I don't I've not really fallen in love with Android, but back then I could see what a more open iPhone would be like. And it was just amazing. I loved the form factor and the keyboard and the fact it had Google Chat like live it was amazing, all the time. Yeah. 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 And I mean, it, it was still relatively recently. I mean, I had that sort of around the time I, I first met you, yeah. but it was, yeah, that was, that was really cool. Horrible hardware, but a vision of the future. And how has mobile changed things for you? Well, apart from it now being my career, the sole way I earn money, the way I pay my mortgage okay. and feed my child. You feed your child mobile phones? Yeah. <laughs> How do you feed your You press a button on the app? <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> the feed, feed child. Yeah. Social services are not convinced by that. <laughs> um, right, no, what it, I mean is what, what are you, so I, I, for example, love the fact that you can do instant ordering, instant this, that. You, what does mobile enable for you? I think for me, it's the fact that all the way through my formative years, computers were something that were nerdy and they were hobbyists and you must have had the computer that was always in bits on your desk. You never put the case on because you were always swapping the graphics card or putting more yeah. RAM in or, or this kind of stuff. Yeah? And then of course, then you get to university and you actually have to do a piece of work with a deadline. And this sort of something in your brain goes click that this is both a hobby, but also a tool. Yeah. And this one and this one can't necessarily be the same thing because I can't go to the lecture and say, I didn't do my essay because, you know, my, <laughs> my hard disk I was, was in bits. I was upgrading Windows. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Boy, I was upgrade. Rafe Blanford is aghast at that idea. It's about <laughs> effectively smartphones are now so easy to use and so ubiquitous that basically they change people's lives, you know, give, bring yeah. them services like the, the on-demand ones you talked about. They bring people's services and they don't even think about how amazing it is you've got a computer in your pocket. And it's, no, it's now just geek level status is available yeah. to everybody. What was your first computer? The first no, one, not the one, the first computer you bought. First one I bought with my own money, a Gateway Pentium. Gateway, oh, I use Gateway. There we go, yeah, Gateway Pentium, which arrived in so many boxes that when I unpacked them in my student room in, at university, I couldn't actually move around the room anymore. It was just <laughs> huge. And in winter, when it got cold in the room, I just turned the CRT display on for half an hour and the room would be magically warm. <laughs> wasn't necessarily the most power efficient, but yeah. uh, I wasn't paying the power bills. So, yeah, I think that's a quick run through Ben's origin story. Is there any anecdote that you yeah. haven't shared? What, what's the one question you're going, I'm glad they didn't ask me about that. <laughs> I'm just trying to think. See, the thing is, I think that you two have way more interesting origin stories because you started a blog and had millions of readers and you well, started a lot of arguments, but you know, you, you made something of value and sold it. And I've done the traditional have a career kind of thing. Well, I think you rather undersell yourself. Yes. I mean, the volunteer stuff, you've got much more of a social conscience than either you or myself, but also you built systems, which actually many millions of people interact with. And yes, you've been part of a oh, team, but actually, so my, my, that's actually the thing. You've touched more people's lives than either you and or myself. Well, and that's what I, that's what I'll tell you, tell the officer as well. So my, my, my most recent <laughs> claim to fame is the system I was leading on. So um, if you have a vehicle that is more than three years old in the UK, yep. you have to get it safety checked and it's a system called MOT. And uh, every year you get it safety checked and you get a certificate and that means you can drive it and you can tax it and do all this other stuff. And I led the software team that replaced that system recently. We made it onto the front page of the Daily Mail, you know, transport chaos as IT system collapses. And yeah, that wasn't... Well done, Ben. Yeah, well, it wasn't all, <laughs> Thanks all, for my, doing that. all my doing. But that, when you see the thing you're responsible for on the front page of the newspapers, that was, that was an interesting weekend. Why 361 for you? 
why do I do it? Yeah. Uh, or why do we name it that silly no, name? No, why, why do you do it? Well, like most things in life, like Rafe Blanford's massage, it started off as a joke that got out of hand, didn't it? Because <laughs> he took it seriously. Well, we've been taunting each other for ages about, you know, having difference of opinions and that kind of stuff. And I realised that actually what, it's fun to talk to you guys about how wrong you are and trying to edu- <laughs> I said I like to educate and, and correct people. And, you know, and actually this for me is a far more fun way. I love the idea of blogging, but I've never been able to stick at it because you have to sit in a room on your own and focus and you do it. It's a very solo activity. And then somebody might write, you're wrong in the comments underneath and hate you. Whereas this, you know, we get to collaborate on what will we say? How do we say it? What do we do afterwards? What goes in and out of the edit? You know, so yeah, it's much more collaborative and I enjoy it. And on the subject of why 361 actually remember we were sitting on the beach in Cannes and Ben suggested the name 361 because it was one degree better mm-hmm. than a 360 degree view. We Googled it at the time and the only other 361 we could find was a Chinese clothing manufacturing. Oh, that's uh, going to yes. be fine. They'll never and go anywhere. They'll never go anywhere. <laughs> and uh, lo and behold, in this Olympics, 361 is, I assume, some kind of official sponsor and is providing all the Olympic family clothing. Yeah, they're providing all the family clothing to the Brazilian team and to the Chinese team. So it turns that's out that... 361 degrees, because we were 361 degrees. We, were, we, dro- we dropped the degrees because people kept asking. And it, yeah. But yes, uh, the, they are to the Chinese market what Nike is to the American market. So... Uh, uh, Not known to that maybe. Next people. time, more international research on the name. Well, I, I just don't think we're going to be branching the podcast out into sportswear unless you guys have got a really big legal budget. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Well, there we go. Okay, should we, wrap it, should we wrap it up there? Can, yeah. I say, Very interesting. can I say the usual wrap-up words? We can. Yeah, go on. Yeah. Right, well, if you thought this was tedious old rubbish, then please write in and say, you can find us on 361podcast.com where you can leave a comment on the post, you can email us through the page, or you can leave us a voicemail. We're at 361podcast on Twitter. We're also on Facebook and LinkedIn. We will be back next week for the last episode of the season. We should say thank you very much to Digitas LBI who provide us the recording venue. Thank you to markaudioroundler.co.uk for making this sound buttery, buttery smooth, as is his want. And uh, as I said, we'll be back next week, last one in the season and also the conclusion to the Android challenge. Bye-bye. So how did Good. you... I love talking about me. We should just give you the background, listener. Probably about half an hour before we were due to record this episode, we were just having a conversation, and I, I said to Ben, come on. Said. Cajoled. Cajoled, bullied. bullied. Come on, no, I, we just said, let's talk about you. No, no, we don't care. No, we can, no, no, because you are, I th- is it right to say he's a fulcrum around 361? I think he is, is the, the, the glue. The glue that makes it happen? Definitely. He used to edit all of them. The ones that keeps us organised and on track without wanting to make Ben blush. I don't think without Ben there would be no 361. I, I apply the quality control. I tell you when you're wrong and when you, when you haven't been loud enough. And dear, dear listeners, the amount of times that actually happens is quite frequent, sadly. <laughs> so, you know, it's it ranges from the look of sort of slight contempt right up to the, no, Ewan, don't say that. It takes a lot of effort and planning to sound this amateur. <laughs> Now, now and again, we'll, we'll get but three I, minutes into recording and then he presses stop. You see? I don't know what you did, Ewan, because I went away to get some food and I, I came back and the entire episode had changed. So I am concerned that you've been bullying Ben into to doing an episode. Quite clearly he didn't want to do because uh, he's sitting there looking distinctly uncomfortable having spent 40 minutes talking about himself. Well, you see, How you find I'm, it? I'm, well, I'm happy to talk about me, but the thing is... If we go to the pub, I'll tell you anecdotes until we're blue in the face. But the reason I thought that you guys had really interesting stories was you started a mobile business and he started a mobile blog. And if you're listening to this, then those are the things that are kind of interesting, I hope, to the listeners. Whereas I 
have worked through my career. mobile for you as Department yeah, but, of Defence. Yeah, but, but I've done loads of diverse stuff, but it took a long time to get a career in mobile. But then, like, you know, kind of doing it as a job is only part of the story because actually for me it's much more about being like so, it being the best thing ever to be involved in. It's just way more interesting than any other type of IT. So I'm, I'm going to translate that into what Ben actually meant. Go on. Ben's had a much more rounded career than either myself yeah, or he's, you. He's and, got a proper and job. He's, got, he's, he's had a proper job. He's got a much broader perspective. So as a result, and a patient. He's, he's the one that actually has to... Uh, <laughs> yeah, ben this ben is ben true ben. as well. He has to uh, referee and be diplomatic, which is why he does such a good job yes. of essentially chairing all the podcasts. And for anyone who's been listening for a while, they'll Try know on. that actually it's Ben ultimately acts as the compare and the host. So I think it's only right that he gets his moment in the spotlight because I know speaking to some of our listeners that are actually just curious about the individuals and the personalities and where the thinking comes from. So yes. I think that's what this episode is going to have done really well, hopefully. So what do we, love what to do get we, the feedback on it, though. What are we going to do for filler in the future, though? Because now, that's it, we've, we've scraped that barrel. We probably should have done it in 10-year segments so that we could have spun it out. Well, this is true. Well, there's plenty more anecdotes that I managed to keep under wraps. <laughs> Uh, and I'm pretty sure there'll be some there'll be some Ewan stories, and there's some stories that I know you have from uh, from your mobile past as well about unspeakable things you did to spokespeople or that they did to you. What was just the handset manufacturer one? What we should maybe do is go back and we should do the origin story of, of three six one because there's all these. We've done a little bit of that, haven't we? Now and again, but yeah. Not, but there's, yeah. There's, there's the story of of all the things we've written about or done, and you know, sort of how we've worked together mm. and then apart and then back together again. And yes, there's sort of occasions. My favourite one was in the the heyday of uh, mobile when we, we used to go to these events and it used to be uh, a sort of like a pop quiz. What will be wrong about this handset launch? Will it be underground with no <laughs> yeah. light so you can't see the handset? Yeah. Will it be in a place with no mobile phone reception? Yeah. Or will the staff there who are supposed to be showing you the device be so drunk that they won't be able to say their own names? And, and, and then, if you're Sony, you did all three at the same time. Well, and there was that occasion where the, where the, the guy I was interviewing, mm-hmm. you know, sort of basically had a bit of a fit, didn't he? I said, I don't know why. They said, don't ask this question. So, okay, we won't ask this question. And I said, hello. And they said, you've asked the question. I said, no, I haven't. I've just, <laughs> just said, said hello. hello. But that was it. The interview over. Although, I, I used to the, love the, doing that, right? Because the, no one, no one, no one expected to turn up to be interviewed, right? By this budding mobile industry review TV service, right? I was, I was at the camera yeah. and Ben was doing the interviewing. No one expected to remember? have a management consultant <laughs> come and having read your recent you know, filings, uh, SAC, uh, can you comment on the, <laughs> you, you say that, but then we also did one and I forget the name of the startup, but there was a, a fellow with a, a an awkward to say surname. I think it was Torobin or something like that. <laughs> and we, and like I'm, I'm nine times, hello, Mr. Torobin, and I'm laughing and we're going over it and he's getting more and more <laughs> irritated and you're looking a bit tetchy because this interview hasn't been easy to get and I just <laughs> cannot say the word. And it wasn't all slick and professional, was it? <laughs> no, do, 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 do remember you asking Nicholas Savander from Nokia what his, the first record he ever bought was as well. That was another top Oh, question. I was going to ask you, I was, they've just prompted me. Sorry. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. I was going to ask you, what's your favourite movie? Favourite movie? I love um, a Good Morning Vietnam. Uh, good choice. Good, yeah. 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 Robin Williams at his best, you say. Really good. Yeah. Well, I don't really like the bits that aren't in the studio. Uh, yeah, but they're, they're, there's, there's, a, there's a meaningful story. I don't like it when they, well. yeah, they go and you get the, you know, the yeah. thing gets blown up. You know, when, when things happen. And but you have, it make, does it make you have feelings? Yeah. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't like it. 